physically they have never seen before. Hi. So what's your name and how old are you? My name is Colin Cloud and I have just turned 30. And what are you going to be doing for us today? Today I'm going to show the world the closest thing to a real-life Sherlock Holmes. You wow. can look at a person and know their yes. age, their, what they do for career. Uh, it's actually easier if I give you a quick example of what I do before we get to the main event. Okay. The lady at the front, would you hold up your two hands just like this? Yep, just hold... Okay, would I be correct if I'm wrong, be honest? Are you a teacher? Yes, that's your job. Oh the, guy, the guy beside this lady... Not moving, but the body language. Are you a police officer? Yes. No! I'd love to teach you how some of this works. Would that yes. be okay? Yes. 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 Before we go any further, Tyra, would you mind joining me, please? Come on, Tyra. Hi, Tyra. I won't embarrass you, okay? You're very okay. safe. Tyra, grab a seat on this, uh, this stool. You're going to hold this prediction that may prove very important very soon. My background genuinely is in criminal profiling, specifically detecting when people are lying. Uh -oh. So with <laughs> this in mind, I want to teach you how this works with a very simple game that I learned as a child, starting with Howie. Howie, I'm going to give you a coin. Yeah. I will also give you an antibacterial wipe, should you request it. <laughs> Thank you. All I want you to do is place the coin behind your back, please. You have my back. Try to give yeah. nothing away, but hold your hand straight out in front of you like this. Give nothing away. Just say yes both times. Does that make sense? Yes. That was perfect, Harry. Right. Is the coin in this hand? Yes. Is the coin in this hand? Yes. Now, when he said yes for real, when he meant it, his eyebrows raised slightly. Really? Your nose is also pointing slightly here, so I believe it's in this hand. Turn it over, let me see. It is in that hand, just to let you know. Some of you might remember seeing Colin Cloud on America's Got Talents a few years ago. and um, He claims to be the real life of Sherlock Holmes and uh, that he can know a lot about you simply by observing you. And I do find it a little bit disturbing that it's America's Got Talent, but he's from Scotland. That may be an issue for some of you. It was for me for just a moment, but I got over it. But anyway, um, but he, uh, his background is a criminal profiler. And specifically, he is trained to be able to detect whether someone is telling the truth or someone is lying. He has the ability to look at you, ask you a question, and tell just based on your reaction whether you're being honest or whether you are not being honest, whether you're telling the truth or whether you're not. And so when he had Harry Mandel hold that coin in his hand, he said, I knew you were telling the truth because when you told the truth, your eyebrows just went up just slightly. And, and I also thought it was funny, he said, your nose was pointing slightly towards this hand. So I think it's in this hand. And he was correct that it was there. And he does several other things in that... Um, quick episode there, but he's able to, to know whether Harry Mandel is telling the truth, and I know that we've got a few police officers or law enforcement officers that are here, and uh, some that are watching online, and, and you're very familiar with these kind of tactics, that, that some of these men and women have been trained to look for very specific things when they ask specific questions. They, they're looking for facial reactions, they're looking for whether a person's eyes move up or down or left or right, whether their eyebrows move up or down or, or twitch one way, whether their mouth mouth curls a certain way and all these are specific facial expressions or specific body language that lets a person who's trained in this know whether the person is telling the truth or not. And so uh, this becomes very helpful for them when they're investigating a crime or they're at an accident and they're getting conflicting stories. That They'll ask this person what happened and they'll tell them one thing and they'll ask this person what happened and they'll tell them a completely different story. So as a police officer, they've got to be able to determine really quickly in that situation which one of these is most believable, which one of these is telling the truth. 
And so they look for these facial recognitions, they look for these facial expressions, this body language, so they can determine what is true and what actually happened. And it's very helpful for them. And so this morning, uh, we're going to kind of become detectives a little bit. We're going to continue our stories through the Old Testament. So these heroes of the Old Testament, we're going to be in... in 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning, um, and this guy named Elijah is a prophet named Elijah. And if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 18. And I, I told you earlier, this is honestly probably one of my favorite stories in the whole Old Testament. Okay, I've got lots of favorite stories, but this is probably one of my favorite because it's one of the few times in Scripture, and probably it's the only time in Scripture, but I'm going to say it's one of the few. It's one of the few times that somebody gets to talk junk and smack in the Bible and God backs it up for him. Okay, and, and so this is one of my favorite stories because we have this prophet of God who's talking smack to these other priests and other prophets of other gods, and then God backs him up by shooting fire down from heaven. Okay, I don't know any stories that get better than smack talk and fire from heaven. This is like the perfect story for a man to, to kind of work through, and, and, and through all of this um, junk talking and, and smack talking, like Elijah lays this on thick. Okay, to be honest with you, in fact, we could probably have a whole lesson on how to smack talk the Jesus way, all right, because Elijah does this, all right, but instead of getting caught up in that, instead of getting caught up with this fire from heaven, I want to focus this morning a little bit on what Elijah tells the people and this great idea of how to determine truth, how to determine if something is true or not true, okay, and I honestly think that this is, is not just a lesson for Israel thousands of years ago, let's be honest, this is a lesson that we in America sitting in 2020, we need to hear this as well. How do we know whether something is true or not true? Well, how do we determine if there's a truth that's worth following our life after or shaping our life after or not? Okay? And I'm going to be honest with you. The method that we're going to use is going to be very different than what Elijah uses. Okay? Now, if you want to go home and try this story, you're welcome to. But the principles that he, he gives during this, this situation, they are, are timeless. And the, they are foundational to knowing what is true and what is not. Okay, so even though the method is going to look very different, you're like, oh yeah, this is what my, Pastor Michael said we're going to be able to do. That's not it. Okay, but I'm going to give you the tools you need to know. Like, hey, these are not good determiners of what is true, and these are things that you can use to determine what is true and what is worth following your life after. So, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to First Kings 18. We're going to start in verse 16. And we're going to read a pretty good portion. We're going to read all the way through verse 40. Uh, but it is an exciting story. So let's go ahead and pick up the story. It says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16, it says, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? And he replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's command and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at, at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. When Elijah approached the people and said, How long will you hesitate between these two options? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. When Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and they are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. 
I'll prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that sounds good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. Then call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced and hobbled around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, and he said, Shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. And they shouted loudly, and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to the customs until their blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice But there was no sound, no one answered, and no one paid attention. In verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people approached him, and and he repaired to the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, in whom the word of God, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold four gallons to hold four gallons and next he arranged the wood cut up the bull and placed it on the wood and he said fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burnt and on the wood and he said a second time and they did it a second time and then he said a third time and they did it a third time and so the water ran all over the altar and he even filled the trench with water at the time of the evening sacrifice, or the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and he said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all of this, these things. Answer me, Lord. Pray or answer me so that the people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have, tu- and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. And Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. Now seize them. And Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kedish and slaughtered them there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, we thank you for this amazing story that demonstrates the power that you have over nature. This amazing story that you have given us that demonstrates your power over all other false idols and false gods that are around us. God, we thank you for this story that's not just a story for thousands and thousands of years ago. But God, this story has so many lessons to teach us this morning. God, this story demands our attention. This story demands our focus this, in this moment. And so God, I pray that in this moment we are all yours. God, I pray that in this moment you speak to us in a way that is so clear, God, that we will have no choice but to leave this place saying Yahweh is God, Jesus is our King, and we will follow you, and we will put to death anything else that has tried to take your place. 
And so, God, I pray this morning that we are challenged beyond measure this morning. God, I pray that we don't just hear this story and are familiar with it and we just walk away from it, just letting it be another story. God, I pray this morning that we are challenged by the word that you have this morning. God, let us hear your truth this moment. God, let us be able to know what is true and what is worth building our life on. And God, what should be slaughtered in the first place. And so, God, I pray that you speak and I pray that we listen to you clearly this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many of you have probably played the game uh, called Would You Rather, and a lot of times people will play this game as an icebreaker for like a group gathering, and, and it's a really good game to kind of get people talking, all right, to each other, and uh, it doesn't require a lot. You can play it with a youth group, you can play it with kids just for fun, and the rules of the game are really, really Really simple, okay? So simple that, that kids understand this rule, okay? It is simply this. You have two options, and you must choose between one of those two options. That's it, okay? That's all there is to this game, all right? You have two options, and you have to pick between these two options. Now, sometimes the two options are both negative options, okay? And so you're asked a question like this. Would you rather lose your ability to see or your ability to hear for the rest of your life? Okay, so then you got to think about that. Or maybe it's like this. Would you rather live in a world with no electricity whatsoever or a world that's full of technology but no animals whatsoever? All right? Let me give you a harder one. Would you rather be on a ship that's sinking and save 500 people but lose your two closest friends or would you rather save your two closest friends and have to let the other 500 passengers on the ship drown? Those are hard choices. Those are all negatives. None of us would want to do any of those things. But those are hard choices. So this is how the game works. But sometimes both options are positive options. Okay, And you may have a question like, would you rather spend a week at the beach or a week in the mountains? Okay, That's, that's a fairly simple one for some of us. Okay, Would you rather eat ice cream every day for the rest of your life and never have to worry about gaining weight? Or would you rather eat bacon every day for the rest of your life and never have to worry about heart issues? That's a win-win, okay? Or, or maybe this one. Would you rather have the superpowers of Superman or all the cool gadgets of Batman? All right? Now, I see some of you. You're already, I've lost some of you already because you're, you're already playing this game with each other, all right? But now, I've got to tell you, the rules of this game are so simple. You listen to the two choices and you pick one of the two. That's all there is. Okay, that, that's the, this is the game. All right. But if you've ever played this game with a group of people, there's always somebody in the crowd that, that just doesn't get it. Okay? There's always that one person in every large group that tries to come up with a third option. Okay? And the third option is either neither or both. Okay? And in their mind, they have this rational belief that they can come up with a solution that really is neither nor both of these options. Okay? Neither or both of these options. So in the case of the negative, when both of them were negative, they come up with this, this third option that, um, that makes them choose neither one. For example, if they had to choose between a world with no electricity or a world full of technology and no animals. Okay? So we're all sitting around the room, we're all going to discuss this, and, and all of a sudden this person who thinks they've got this third option figured out, they're like, oh, I would choose the world with no animals and all the technology. Because then I could use the technology to create animals, and so then I would have both. And you're like, no. 
It doesn't work that way. Okay, that you cannot choose because what you've really done is said, I don't want to go without electricity or without animals. I'm going to choose neither, and that's not an option. Okay, or then you get to the positive kind of questions, and, and you you ask them this question of you know. Um, would you rather um, spend a week at the beach or a week in the mountains? And then the same kind of person who doesn't get that these are the rules of the game, this, this option, they're going to come up with some answer like, well, I would go to Lake Lure for the week because it's in the mountain and there's a beach there by the lake, and so I could have both. And you're like, no, do you not understand this game? Like my kids get this game. It is A or B. Okay? I didn't ask which lake you were going to. And by the way, the lake is not the beach. Okay? It doesn't come with the sand or the salt water or the fear of sharks and jellyfish. Okay? It doesn't have the same effect. All right? There may be other critters in that water, but it's not the same as the ocean. All right? and, and so you kind of get to these points. And you want to look at it and be like, you just, you just don't understand. Like at the, you've got to make a choice between these two. All right? There's not a third option. There, there's not this, I don't want to choose neither. There's not this other option of, I really want to make up this option where I have both. You have to make this choice. You have to pick one or the other. And the two options are exclusive of each other. So you either go to the beach or you go to the mountains. You cannot be at the beach and the mountains at the same time. If you can, we need to talk. Okay? Because I want to figure out how you do that. They are exclusive of each other. All right? You have to pick one or the two options. There is no third option of both or neither in this game. And so I imagine that this is the message that Elijah is trying to get to the people of Israel. That a choice has to be made between the options. And you cannot choose both. All right? Let me give you a little background of this story. Ahab is the king of Israel. Okay? And years before this, he married this lady named Jezebel. And now many of you that are familiar with the story, maybe you're not even familiar with the story, but you've heard the name Jezebel, and it's never in good context for a good reason. Okay? And he marries this lady named Jezebel, and she's not an Israelite. She's a Phoenician, which live on the coast of Israel. Okay? So they're not Israelites. They live close to Israel. And so when she comes into the nation of Israel, when she becomes queen of the nation of Israel, she wants to bring her life with her. And her life includes the God that she serves, the, the Baal and the Asherah, okay? which is really a whole collection of gods. And so she's going to make it her personal mission to bring these with them, into, bring these with her into the nation of Israel, and not just bring them with her because she's not content with, hey, I'm going to worship my God, you guys do what you want to. She's really going to mandate this worship and bring this worship of these foreign gods into the whole nation of Israel. And she makes it her personal mission so that everybody in Israel stops worshiping God and starts worshiping these idols that she worships. Okay? This is her goal. This is her mission in life, that she's going to do this. And so for the people of Israel, they're, they're not quite to this point yet. Right? They're not quite ready to turn their back on this God that they've been serving probably for a thousand years now or so, maybe more than that. They're not quite ready to turn their back on Yahweh and go completely over to Baal and Asherah. Okay? They're just not there yet. They're not ready to, to abandon one and go to the other. So what they've done is in their mind, they've really settled for this third option. That They've really settled for this middle ground. And their simple third answer middle ground is we'll have both. I mean, if serving one God is good, then serving two gods has to be better, right? Like, it's got to be better if we serve two gods. And so we'll serve Yahweh. We'll go to Yahweh's temple on His special holy days, and we'll serve Yahweh and go to His temple on a certain times. But then the other times, we'll go to Baal's temple, and we'll go to that temple and worship on those days. And everybody's going to be happy. 
This is going to work for everybody. And so we're going to just choose C, all the above. Okay? And this is going to make everybody happy except for Elijah, who's the prophet of Yahweh, a prophet of real God. And he can't stand this because he knows where this road's going to lead. In fact, he's been warning them for years and years and years, you can't make this happen. You can't do this. You can't walk this line of compromise, and you can't compromise truth with, with everything else. You can't bring these other gods in with this God and expect it all to work, and everybody's going to be happy and content. What he's really warned them is, hey, listen, go back and look at the old, go back and look at the Ten Commandments. And what do they say? Don't have any other gods before me. The second one, don't make any idols because the God you serve is a jealous God. And he's been warning them over and over and over again and again and again that this is never going to work. You cannot do this with God. It's not going to happen. And so he tells King Ahab to gather the people at Mount Carmel. And so in verse 20, King Ahab does just that. It says that he summons all the Israelites and he gathers the prophets at Mount Carmel. And then the next verse, Elijah stands up and he addresses the crowd. And, and I picture him kind of standing up on this big, huge rock to, to look out over this crowd. If he's addressing a whole nation, it's a pretty good-sized crowd. And there's nothing in there about him standing on a rock or anything. It's just the way my mind works in the way that this is the Michael Rakes version. Okay, So this is how I picture it for the moment. In verse 21, he, he stands up. And he tells them in verse 21, he says, How long will you hesitate between two options? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Elijah uses this very interesting word that gives a pretty clear mental picture of what's going on in the nation of Israel at the time. He says that, uh, you, you, how long will you hesitate and the word hesitate there can be translated a couple different ways. Some ways it can be translated as it can be to, to hop or to dance. Okay, And so really what he's looking at is he's like, how long are you guys going to jump back and forth or hop back and forth between these two options? As if there's the fence between God and this other set of gods. How long are you going to hop back and forth between these two and think that this is going to be okay. All right? Think it the other way. How long are you going to dance between these two options and think this is going to work out? Okay. So, so I want you to picture for just a moment, this is the mental picture that Elijah's given. Picture the fact that, that maybe you're a little younger, maybe you're your age, whatever you want to be, but you, you are going to a dance, but you can't figure out who you want to dance with at this dance. You can't figure out who you want to take to this dance. There's two people that you want to take, and so what do you do? You choose option C, you take both of them. And so you have one of them stand right here, and you have the other stand right here, and you just dance right here in the middle. And you just dance with both of them at the same time. Okay? Now, eventually, you know how this works because if this is guy over here standing here looking at you dance and looks right there and there's other guy standing right here looking at you dance, this is not going to end well. And so Elijah's telling him, how long are you going to dance like this? How long do you think this is going to work out? Because there's another way that this word hesitate can also be translated. It can't, it's not just to, to dance or it's not just to hop. It literally mean, it can be translated, how long are you going to limp between these two? You see, in their minds, the people had this perfect solution. They didn't have to choose a dance partner. They didn't have to choose a side of the fence. They could just hop back and forth, or they could dance with both of them, the best of both worlds, the best of both gods. And Elijah says, listen, you don't get it. It's not working. It's never going to work. You have tried to dance this dance so long that you got a cramp in your hamstring, and now you're just limping back and forth between them. 
You've tried to hop this fence back and forth so many times that you think you've got this figured out. You think you're a frog that can just jump back and forth all the time. And he says, really what you're doing is you're just limping. You're limping back and forth because you're wounded, because you're, you're, you're tired. Your legs aren't designed to go back and forth like this. And he says, how long are you going to continue limping back and forth? You think you're dancing. You think you've got the strength for this, but you don't. You weren't designed to have this kind of strength, and you're never going to survive if you keep going back and forth between these two options. And so you may think you're dancing, you may think you're hopping, but you're limping at best. You have to make a choice, and you either choose God and you serve Him with everything that you have, or you turn your back on Him and you choose to serve the other guy. You choose to serve Baal, but you can't serve both. You can't have it both ways. You have to make a choice. And the two options here are exclusive of each other. You either choose A or you choose B. You cannot choose a middle ground. When it comes to God, there is no way to serve one and serve the other. And you might think you're dancing and hopping, but you're just limping. And I would dare say that if Elijah was here this morning, either in this room or online or in our nation, I dare say that he would ask this same question of a lot of us. How long are you going to hesitate between these two options? How long do you think that you can keep this act going? Listen, you might think that you're dancing and that you've got everybody fooled. You might think that you can serve God on Sunday and yourself on the rest of the week. You might think that you can live by one set of rules on Sunday and a different set of rules the rest of the week. You might think that you can live one lifestyle when certain people are around and a different lifestyle when other people are around. You might think that you can put God first and foremost in the throne of your life when certain people and a certain crowd is here, but a different person and a different thing gets on the throne when Somebody else is around. And Elijah would look at a lot of us and says, Listen, you think you're dancing and hopping like a frog, but you're not. You're limping and you got nobody fooled. I dare say that Elijah would give us this same message. The, the fact is that you're not dancing, you're limping. And the quicker you figure that out is the better off you're going to be because when you limp back and forth, you're only going to make it worse. Some of us in this room this morning, some of us watching online, we need to understand that you have to make a choice. You're either going to serve God and put Him first and foremost in your life and everything else is going to fall underneath Him or you're going to put something else first and foremost in your life and everything's going to fall under that. You see, we in America are so used to working off of buffets instead of serving off a menu. You see, the difference is when you go to a restaurant and you sit down, they give you a menu and you have to make a choice of something that's on that menu. See, we don't like that when it comes to truth. We don't like that because that means that I've got to choose this and I don't get to choose any of this other stuff. But this other stuff looks really good, so we'd rather go to the buffet. Because of the buffet, I can take a little bit of this and I can take a little bit of that. And that doesn't look too good, so I'm going to leave that there. But I can take this, and I can take this, and I can, and I can get this plate of exactly how I want it. And for some reason in our American Western mindset, this is how truth works. That we can just pick and choose the good parts of each little religion we want to, each little truth statement we want to, and we can leave all the hard, difficult stuff behind. This is where we end up with a Savior, but no sin. This is where we end up with grace and mercy, but no need to beg for forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. And the message of Elijah is simply clear that, listen, God is not content playing second fiddle with anyone or anything else in your life. And the truth is, you're not going to be content as long as you've got something else sitting in the place of God. And so you've got to make this choice. You either have to put Him first, or you have to walk away from Him completely. What Elijah would tell some of us sitting in this room and some of us watching online is either God has to be first, and you serve Him with everything in your heart, or you just need to quit pretending like He matters at all. Because He's either first, or He's nothing to you. Those two are exclusive of each other. 
And you cannot have it both ways. There must be a choice that's made. You're either fully committed to Him or you're not committed to Him at all. You cannot pick and choose. You cannot have it both ways. Pick either God or walk away from Him. That's the choice that Elijah says. That's the choice that we have to face. And that's the choice that our world's got to come to. We're either going to serve God or we're not. We can't pick and we can't decide that we want this and this and this and this. And then think it's all going to work together. We can't keep dancing and hopping and think it's all going to work out. A couple years ago, the group from Stanford University, they did a pretty interesting research article. And they wanted to figure out um, how easy it was for people to determine how true or the truth of a, a website. The, truth, uh, the statements that were made on an article of a website, whether it was true or not. And so what they did was they took all these different articles from websites and they put some bogus ones in there that, that were obviously not true. They put some true ones that, that everybody would agree with on there. And then they took some that they really messed with. Okay, So they would take the truth content of this website and then they would reformat it and restructure it so that you couldn't recognize where it was from. Okay, or you couldn't recognize the, the template of it, right? And then they would do the same thing with some of the bogus articles, okay? Articles that you know weren't true, uh, but they would reformat them, they would restructure them, maybe add some little footnotes down at the bottom, or maybe they would change the color scheme or the layout of the website. And then they would ask people to sit in front of a computer and basically click through these 20 or so websites and determine if the information on this website was true or not true, okay? And they did this with everything from teenagers all the way to Ph.D. Uh, students at Sanford University. All right? And what they found was that people have very different ways of determining truthfulness of an article. Okay? For some of them, they had pretty logical reasons. For some of them, what they did, their reason for determining something was true or not true depended on... Um, uh, where the, the source of the information was from. Okay, So if they read an article and it said it was from such and such news source, they automatically either assumed that was true or assumed it wasn't true. Okay, If it came from the American Pediatric Association, click true because it says it's from there, we trust them. Okay, For some people, they look down at the footnotes and all these citations at the bottom that most of us don't even pay attention to, and they started to, to realize that if, if certain sources were there, if they started to pull in material from other people, there's probably truth to that article. Regardless of where that information came from, they were convinced that there was some information there that was conglomerated from other sources, and so that made it look truthful. But the thing that was most interesting to these researchers was the fact that people based um, their, their uh, determination of truthfulness on the article completely the wrong way. Right? For some people, instead of what the article said, they were convinced of the truthfulness or the falseness of the article simply by the layout of the website. Okay? That when they took these true articles, maybe it was from the American Pediatric Association or the American Dental Association or whatever they thought it was true, they took that same information, they put it on a, their own website, and, and maybe the color scheme didn't look right, maybe the spacing wasn't right, maybe the font wasn't right, but it didn't look professionally made. Suddenly people are like, oh no, that one's got to be false because it, it doesn't look good. Okay? And they would do the same thing with the opposite. Things that were obviously not true, they would dress them up and they would put them in real nice fancy packages and people like, oh yeah, that looks professional. We're going to choose that one as true. And it amazed them the way that people kind of misunderstood the idea of how you determine what is true and how you determine what's not true. And, and it really bothered them that most people, or a lot of people, determined um, the, the article, the content of the article was less of an issue for them than the design of the article itself in determining what was true. 
And Elijah's asking the people of Israel in this story to determine the truthfulness between these two gods. Right? He's, he's going and he's, he's trying to get them to focus on the right factors for making their decisions. Listen, you've got to make this decision. You've got to make this choice. And I want to help you along the way. I want you to understand there are certain things that you shouldn't be concerned about whether this makes this true or not. There are certain things that you shouldn't be worried about whether this is a truth factor or not. And he wants to make it clear there's some things that you just don't take into consideration that make truth or make something not true. Right? There's wrong ways to measure truth. There's wrong ways to determine if something is true or not true. And the very first one we see for Elijah is he makes clear that a political power or civil authorities, they don't determine if something is true or not true. Right? And just because someone's in authority and they believe something or they tell you that something is true, it doesn't necessarily make it true. All right? So the nation of Israel at this time, they're going through a very difficult time. In fact, it hasn't rained in part to that nation for three years. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I don't get rain for a couple weeks, my yard starts to, to dry up and die. All right? I, I could not imagine living in a place that didn't rain for three years. You can imagine the amount of famine that's going on in that nation at the time. It hasn't rained for three years. There's famine all over the place. And in those three years, King Ahab has been searching all over the place for Elijah because in his mind, Elijah is the reason for the drought. Now, he's got a fairly legit reason for believing that because back in chapter 17, Elijah stands up and he says, Listen, it's not going to rain anymore until I command it to. All right, so we need to get you on board here. We need to find out what's going on. You're the reason that there's not rain. You're the reason there's this famine going on. And so that's the reason that uh, Ahab greets Elijah or questions Elijah the way he does in our story in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Elijah or Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? And so in Ahab's mind, Elijah is the reason for all this trouble in Israel. And Elijah is the reason there's a drought. He's the reason there's a famine. And it's all Elijah's fault. But Elijah makes it clear in the very next verse, in verse 18, he says, Listen, if there's fault in this, it's not with me. Right? So in verse 18, Elijah replies to Ahab and he says, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Hey, listen, the reason Israel is in this mess, it's because of you. Because you've turned your back on God. Because you turned from what you knew was true to follow these other gods. And listen, you've turned your back and you went after these gods. Don't blame me because God is punishing you because you turned your back on God in the first place. Don't blame me because you went and chose to serve these other gods. And actually God, who this Baal God, who's the God of the weather. If you're going to blame anybody, blame yourself for going after him. Blame that God who's controlling the weather and not giving you the weather that you want. By the way, blame yourself because you're getting exactly what you want. You want to worship the God who's in control of weather? How's that working out for you right now? And I can't help but think there's this parallel between the state of Israel then and the state that we currently find ourselves in. And why did God do this to me? Why is God allowing this? Why is there this mess going on in our nation, in this world around us? It must be the Christians. It must be the church that we have to blame. What good is your Jesus now that all this terrible stuff is going on? And the saddest part is they're too busy blaming Christ to realize that they turned their back on Christ a long time ago. 
They're too busy blaming us and the church, and for us who follow Christ the best that we can, they're too busy trying to blame us for all the problems in the society to realize that it's not us that are causing the problem, that we're the ones trying to point you to the solution of the problems that you're facing. And if you would listen to the solution that we've been trying to point you to all along, you wouldn't find yourself in this mess that you're in. And that's not just true of our nation. That's true of every individual. Listen, if you would listen to the solution that Christ has been giving you, if you'd been following God's commands from the very beginning, you wouldn't be in this mess. So if you want to blame somebody, listen. Don't blame God. And don't blame those that are trying to follow God because you chose to turn your back on God a long time ago. Elijah says, you want to start blaming somebody for your troubles, you need to start with yourself. You need to start with your wife. In fact, she's the one supporting the prophets of Baal, the, the prophets of Asherah. And in verse 19, Elijah says that there are 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And it doesn't mean that she has a meal with these 850 men. Okay? It means that they're on her payroll. All right? It means that she supports them, that she maintains them, that she provides food and shelter for them. She is, in essence, the charge of the state religion now of Israel is no longer Yahweh and God. It is these prophets of Baal. And so she is the the one who is in political power and civic government. And she is also the one in charge of, in that point, the church. And so Elijah makes this very clear. Listen, just because your king believes it, and just because your queen believes it, and she's trying to make it happen, it doesn't make it true. Just because you have political backing doesn't make it right. And so I want you to listen to me very carefully this morning and how I say this. I'm not worried about an election in November because it does not determine what is true and what is not true. I don't care if, uh, and don't hear me say that, that I am not concerned about an election because I'm concerned about it, and I want to encourage you to follow through and vote the way you should, but it doesn't make a difference in what is true and what is not true. If the White House, the Senate, the House of Representatives, and even the Supreme Court, if all of them were controlled by one party and they made a decision about something that was true, it doesn't mean it's true. You see, any time that they pass a law that doesn't line up with this book, it doesn't make it true. Anytime they pass a law that works with this book, that is truth. You see, they don't have the power to determine truth. What they have the power to do is align with truth or go against it. And so I'm not worried about who wins the election. I sure have people that I want to win the election. I've sure got ideas about ones that will point us in the right direction. But listen, our truth doesn't change because a political party does. Our truth doesn't change because a government situation does change. And we have a democracy, but other people don't. And the truth doesn't change. The truth that Elijah speaks of here thousands of years ago under a monarchy of a king is still true today. And things that were still not right then are still not right now. Truth doesn't change with a political party or political affiliation. God determines truth. Power does not. But the second thing that doesn't determine truth is numbers or popular opinion. In this showdown that Elijah is preparing for, he wants Ahab to get the Baals, the prophet of Baal, to Mount Carmel, and he's going to bring these two bulls out, and uh, he, he's going to have somebody bring these two bulls, and he's going to look at the prophets of Baal, and he says, all right, you guys pick which bull you want to, you cut it up, lay it on your altar, don't light the altar, I'm going to do the same thing, I'm not going to light my altar, and then you pray to your God, I'm going to pray to my God, and whichever one sends fire down from heaven and consumes the offering, that's going to be the God that we serve. And I love how it says the people said, that sounds good. Right? Can you just picture a bunch of men sitting around and he's like, oh, yeah, sounds good, let's do that. 
Like, good option. Let's go with that. And so Elijah, this is the plan that he's going to do. And so the prophets of Baal, they're going to cut this thing up. They're going to lay it on the altar. And so Elijah makes three different references to the number of people that are involved in this situation. Three different times in this showdown he's preparing for, he references numbers. And every one of them makes it clear that he is vastly outnumbered. In verse 19, Elijah tells Ahab, he says, Summon all of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Right? That's 850. Right? Skip down to verse 22. Elijah makes it clear that he's outnumbered there too. He says, I am the only one remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And we started with 850. 400 of them didn't even show up for the showdown because they already know they're outmanned and outmatched, even though there's one of them, and now there's 450 prophets of Baal. And, and so this is a 450 against one. This should be a no-brainer. But then he goes on uh, in verse 25, and he says, Since you are so numerous, I'm going to let you guys go first. There's a lot of you. This is going to take a long time for you. So you get to first choice and bull. All right? Because you're full of it, so you might as well choose the first one. All right. So there's so many of you. Over and over again, Elijah makes it clear that there's a lot more of them than there are of him. He is way outnumbered, but he's not worried. It doesn't make a difference to him that there's 450 of them and one of him because he knows that numbers don't determine truth. He knows that the numbers don't matter in this perspective because he knows that it doesn't matter if there's nobody else on his side. It doesn't matter if there's 7 billion people on the other side. For him, truth is determined by God and not what other people think and not what other people believe. And there is no way that this makes a difference for him because if he's standing with God, then that's all that matters. That God determines truth. And that doesn't change whether one person believes it or 7 billion people believe it. God determines truth and it doesn't matter whether one person chooses not to believe it or 7 billion people choose not to believe it. Truth doesn't change depending on the number of people that believe or don't believe it. See, Elijah knows that just because something is popular doesn't make it right. And often what is right is not what is most popular. Elijah knows that numbers and popular opinion cannot be the factor we use to determine what is true. We don't get to vote on what is true and what is not true. And the last thing that Elijah wants people to know is that the devotion to something doesn't necessarily make it true. Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first. And and in verse 26, they take the bull, they cut it up, they prepare it. And then they call on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Get this. Then they danced and hobbled around the altar that they had made. That's how people describe my dancing too. He danced and he hobbled around. All right. That's how that's how my dancing works. So the prayer wasn't enough. It didn't get the reaction that they needed. So then they start dancing. They they up it a little bit. They want to show their devotion and their dedication to this God. They want to show him they're serious about this need that they have. And so they they're dancing and they're moving around. And so in verse twenty seven, this is the trash talking verse, and I love it. All right. Verse twenty seven says at noon. So Elijah sat back, I love it, he sat back and he's watched all morning long. They're praying, now they're dancing and hobbling around, and Elijah just can't take it anymore. And at noon, halfway through the day, in verse 27, he says he mocked them. Shout loudly, he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over, or maybe he's wandered away. By the way, the literal part of that is, maybe he's gone off to relieve himself to the bathroom, Okay. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road somewhere. Oh, perhaps he's asleep. And you need to wake him up. Come on, guys. You've got to get loud. I mean, you're not loud enough. 
There's only 450 of you. You need to shout louder. Your God's so far away that He can't hear you at this point. Maybe He's off in the bathroom and you really got to shout because He can't hear you in the bathroom. And you just got to keep going. Maybe He's asleep and you got to wake Him up. You got to get excited here, people. You got to get going. Get this God awake. In verse 28, man, they really turned it up. They are really showing their dedication and devotion to this God in verse 28. They, they are really showing how devoted they are to Him. And they said in verse 28, they shouted loudly. And get this, they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their customs until blood gushed over them. They didn't just prick their finger. They're not just praying and yelling and shouting, man. Now they've got knives and spears. I don't even know how you cut yourself with a spear except on accident, but they're willing to do it. Man, their blood is gushing all over the place. They're going to mix their blood with the blood of the sacrifice. This is full devotion. This is, I'm all into this. I'm willing to give up myself for this. And if it costs me my blood to do it, hey, I'm in. I'm all about this. And so they are fully devoted to this. And these guys are dedicated to it. They're willing to cut themselves. They're willing to make themselves bleed. They're fully in this. But in verse 29 it says, All afternoon they kept on raving. They kept going. And then it ends. But there was no sound. And no answer. And no one paid attention. All this devotion. And still no answer. All this devotion and dedication and bloodshed, and yet no fire from heaven. You listen, you can be devoted to whatever you want to. It doesn't make it true. You see, the mantra and motto of our day is believe whatever you want to, and as long as you're sincere and devote in your beliefs, then it's going to be true. Can I tell you, these prophets of Baal would look at you right now and be like, no, it ain't. We tried, we were sincere, we were devoted. We even cut ourselves with the spears and danced around and yelled and sang and our blood gushed everywhere. And you know what? Nothing happened. We were devoted, but we were devoted to the wrong thing. You can be sincere as much as you want to. You can be devoted as much as you want to. But it doesn't make it true. If I climbed up on this building right now and I said, I sincerely believe that if I jump off, I'm going to fly. Guess what's going to happen when I jump off? The ground doesn't care how sincere my beliefs are. I'm sincerely wrong. And I want to share with each of you that are sitting here this morning, each of you that are watching online, you can be sincerely wrong about what is true and what is not true. And it doesn't make it true just because you believe it. It doesn't make it true because you want it to be true. And it doesn't make it true because somebody gave everything because they thought that was true. Someone else's devotion doesn't determine what is true and what is not true because you can be sincere and you can be devoted to it, but you can be devoted and sincerely wrong. And it doesn't make it true. These are the things that Elijah points out doesn't make something true. One, it doesn't have to come from political power. It doesn't make it true. Two, it doesn't have to be popular to make it true. Three, you can be devoted to something that's totally false. Those aren't measures of truth. So what is real truth? What determines real truth? I'm going to give you these three things really quick. The first thing that Elijah says, and now it's his turn, by the way, the, the evening sacrifice has come. And, and I just, I, I love this story because I'm just picturing Elijah there this whole time like, man, these guys are crazy. Look at this. This is nuts. They've been going at this all day long. This is a mess. Now it's his turn. And the first thing he says, listen, if it's true, it's got nothing to hide. You see, Elijah says to all the people, come near to me in verse 30. So all the people... 
people approached him, and he repaired the altar that had been torn down. He wants everybody to see what he's doing. He wants everybody to know that he's not hiding anything, that he took this altar that was completely destroyed. It wasn't set up beforehand. It wasn't set up as this stage prop. There's not a, an explosive uh, can underneath. There's nothing there. He starts from scratch. He rebuilds this thing in front of everybody. And he wants them to see that he's got nothing to hide. In fact, you can bet those 450 prophets of Baal, you can bet that they're watching with intenseness. All right? They're watching everything, even though they're exhausted and bleeding all over the place. Man, they're watching everything that he's doing. And he rebuilds this altar so that everybody can see it. And he puts this bull on it. All right? And then this gets even better. Because he wants to make sure that there's no funny business in this. So in verse 33, he says, Go get four watering pots. Fill them up with water. And I want you to bring them back, and I want you to pour it on the sacrifice and on the wood. So they go and they do it. He says, Do it a second time. So they go get those four water pots. They fill them up with water. Pour it on there. By the way, remember, we're in a drought for three years. Okay? So it's not like they just walked down to the creek and got it. They had to go for a little ways and do this. Okay? This is showing true dedication, that he is fully devoted, that this water was a very costly thing, but he's willing to do it and show that God is powerful in all this. And so, by the way, don't just do it a second time. Do it a third time. And at this point, there's so much water. This thing is saturated. The meat is saturated. The wood is saturated. The, the altar is saturated. The, the trench that holds about four gallons around the altar, it is full of water. It is all there. Everything is done. Everything is done out in the open. You're like, why in the world would he need to pour water on this thing over and over and over again? Because there might just be a little chance that when he laid that bull on there and he put that wood in there, maybe he slid under a little a match or something. Maybe there's a little bitty flame or a little bitty spark underneath there. Maybe he just needs to blow on it. And when he prays, he's going to blow on it. Not with wet wood. Not with gallons of water poured on this thing. There is nothing to hide when the truth is there. When it's real truth, you don't have to worry about what's underneath. When it's real truth, you don't have to worry about what's hidden underneath. There is nothing around this that gives the inclination that this is not going to happen, that this is not true. And so he gives you this idea that real truth has nothing to hide. But he also tells you that real truth should direct our actions. You see, it's showtime for Elijah. They, they've given the prophets of Baal all day long, and now it's showtime. Elijah steps up in verse 36, and he offers this real simple prayer. In verse 36, he says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar, and he says, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And get this, at your word, I have done all of these things. Did you hear that last part? At your word, I've done all of this. Now understand, this was not Elijah's plan. This was not Elijah's scheme. This was not Elijah's idea that God had been directing his actions the whole time. That when God spoke and said, hey, Elijah, I want you to do this, Elijah did it. When God said, hey, this is the plan I want you to do. I want you to prove to people that I'm the true God. Elijah said, all right, God, if that's what you want, I'm going to do it. He doesn't question it. He just does what God says. And so understand that real truth should direct our actions just like this does for Elijah, just like God is doing for Elijah. When God speaks, we follow His commands. Why? Because He is God and we are His servants. It's a recognition that we are fully dependent on Him. And so that's the last thing of truth. The last idea of full truth is that it's fully dependent on God. From the very beginning of this story, Elijah is totally dependent on God. If God doesn't direct this plan, if God doesn't respond to His plan, if God doesn't send fire, then none of this is going to work. There is nothing Elijah can do to manufacture what's about to happen. So verse 36, it says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar 
And he prayed that very simple prayer. Do you notice the difference? There's no shouting. There's no dancing. There's definitely no cutting or gnashing himself. In verse 37, he goes on, he says, Answer me, Lord. Answer me so the people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their backs. In verse 38, Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. This is God's doing. This is not Elijah's work. And so it's very clear the fire came down from heaven and consumed everything that was there. The fire fell from above and it consumed the burnt offering. The truth is that truth cannot be manufactured here on earth. Truth cannot be determined and manufactured and made here on earth. It must come from above. The only hope that Elijah had in revealing who God was was what God sent down from himself. Can I tell you another part of this great story? The only hope we have in understanding fully who God is is what God has sent down from above. It is not in who we are or what we've manufactured or the churches that we have built or the songs that we have sang. The best truth we know came down from above and let Himself be nailed to a cross to give us what truth really looks like. You see, salvation is never anything that we can do for ourselves. Salvation is never anything that we can make happen on our own. It had to come down from above. And all truth is fully dependent on God. All truth is God's truth. All truth came from above. And if anything is manufactured, if anything is made on earth, if anything is, hey, I got this new idea, I got this new thought, and let me piece all this together and make it look true, it's not. If it doesn't come from above, then it's probably not true in the first place. All these other prophets did everything they could think of, did everything they could know, did everything fully devoted to manufacture truth. And what they end up with? Blood everywhere and nothing happening. And yet Elijah steps in and he prays to God. And God sends this fire from heaven. And truth is revealed in what God did and what God said. If you're looking for truth, start with what God said and start with what God did. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we are amazed at stories like this one in the Old Testament that, that show your power and show how awesome you are and the abilities that you have to send fire down from heaven. God, this morning we're not calling fire down from heaven. God, we're not trying to, uh, to burn up an altar or a bull or, or even water. God, for many of us, we are simply trying to make a choice between what is true and what is not true. God, we are simply trying to stand here and make a choice between where we fall and, and where we direct our life from this moment on. Which way are we going to go? Which God are we going to follow? Which truth are we going to build our foundation on? And so, God, we look at this story realizing that the method of determining truth may be different, but the principles are the same as they were for them as they are for us. And so, God, I pray this morning that you have given us tools and, and wisdom to be able to discern what is true and what is not true. God, we know that truth comes from you. We know that we can trust what you say because we've seen what you do. God, we know that there are many people who are leading lives that aren't true. That are not based on truth. They're leading lives because a, a political party has shown them or power has shown them this. God, they're, they're leading lives and they're living lives because they believe that because most people believe this, because 50% of people approve of this, makes it right, and it doesn't. God, there are many people believing lies this morning 
because they're not looking in the right place. They're looking around at what other people see and what other people believe and the devotion of other people rather than looking up to see what you have and the words that you have spoken and the actions that you have taken. And so, God, I pray this morning above all else, when we try to discern truth, when we try to to know what is right and what is wrong, when we try to choose the God that we're going to serve and the God that we're going to live our life after, God, I pray that we quit looking around at other people. We quit looking down at this level and we start looking up to You. God, knowing that You are the source of all truth. That we as Your servants can trust You. That we as Your servants can follow the words that You say. And we can see the actions that You do. And so, God, I pray this morning that you speak truth. God, I pray that we give you our heart this morning. And for some of us, that means that we have to make a decision to sit you on the throne and walk away from some other things. God, for some of us this morning, that means that we have to put you in a place and we have to slaughter and destroy anything else that we've put in your place. God, speak that truth to us this morning. And make it as clear as fire from heaven that we cannot walk away from it. And so God, in this time, here's our heart. God, speak your truth. Speak words that we know that we can build our lives on. And that we can trust regardless of what anybody or anything else says. So God, I pray this song is our prayer. That we are open to you to hear your word. And that God, that we have the courage to make the choice. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.